0: thank you worship team uh... if you came in a little late uh... my name is pastor matt i actually pastor here um, been a while and it's been uh, chomping at the bit to get back and uh, i just have so many people to thank uh... for covering for me for all those who filled the pulpit thank you uh, dan bjorn and uh... others who have uh, stepped in and uh, i appreciate that very very much and what a great job everybody did for sure and there's a part of you that's like, you know, I don't want them to do too good of a job, though, uh, with selfish reasons, but uh, they did an incredible job. So thank you to everybody. I'd like to really thank uh, the elders as well. They kind of they held me back. Um, they were a little nervous about, uh, they know me a little too well, and so, but they couldn't hold me back forever. And so um, I appreciate them caring the way they do. And, and, and Elam, I just love you guys. Your heart is as big as the ocean. And um, the way you've expressed your love to us has been just incredible. And we, thank you seems just like not enough, for sure. And, uh, but thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts for the way you've loved, supported, all the meals, all the gifts and visits. Um, incredibly grateful. So thank you so much for that. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful to be back here with you and looking at God's word. And so if you turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I'd like to read the first 14 verses. The book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus. We know from Revelation that this church in Ephesus was really doctrinally sound. And um, we know that uh, because we're kind of told that, but also we read Ephesians and know why they were doctrinally sound. Um, this is a loaded book. And uh, we're just going to read the first 14 verses and, and uh, it build off this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we read words that were too and are too beautiful, too rich, too profound to truly understand the depth of the riches and majesty of your love. So we come humbly, asking you, Holy Spirit, to help us understand, and even just a small way a greater way what your word says to us we need your word we need to hear your voice in a culture filled with many voices it's your voice that's truth it's truth we long for in Jesus name i pray amen one of the days i was in the hospital had a a lab Guy from the lab, they take a lot of blood when you're in hospital. By the way, um, a lot of tubes. And th- this one guy came in, course four in the morning, and they like those morning shifts. And uh, uh, and he came in, and as he's taking blood, I noticed he had a remember them WWJD bracelets, and uh, we got to share bracelets. I said, look at mine, you know. Um, but as as I saw that, I, I read. It. I said, that's interesting. Doesn't that stand for what would Jesus do? He said, yeah. I said, tell me about that, tell me, tell me your story, why would you wear that? And he went in to share with me, he said, you know, I, I, I was going to a church, and uh, it was kind of dull, he said, it was kind of really routine, and uh, it just didn't seem like that church, well, it's like they didn't care a lot, they just kind of wanted to go through the routine. He said, but then my girlfriend invited me to her church, and that seemed like a different church. She goes, he he goes on to say, it was, in his word, it was a real church. It was relevant. They spoke about things that mattered, that that I was going through. And they were so different than the other church. I just felt I was among other people kind of like me. I thought, what a great story. I mean, he was proclaiming about a church that was real that was authentic, that had an impact on his life. And whenever I consider the task of equipping God's people, there's a crucial part in my mind, and that's helping release the church to become a community, an authentic community, to actually live out what we believe and to live out who we already are. And so it's my desire in these weeks ahead to break down this corporate dimension of who we are. Now imagine running into somebody at the store or at the park or camping who says to you and who asks you this question, tell me about you Christians. How do you answer that? Tell me about you Christians. I mean that's a pretty vague question. I wonder where we'd zoom our lens. Paul, in Ephesians and other places, talks a lot about, and he's talking to churches, so understandably, this corporate mention of what it means to be a church. What does it mean to be a redeemed community? A community purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What separates the church from the Lions Club, from any club, many are distorted view of membership because they don't understand really what a redeemed community is. What separates the church from all these other groups? I'm glad you asked. because That's what we're going to talk about. The first thing I want to talk about that separates us, that makes us who we are as a redeemed community, is we're people of the gospel. I love Jim Van Erpen. He says the church is a cruciformed people. That's his word. I love it. Because the reality is there's no transformation without crucifixion. We can't talk about being a people of God unless we go back to the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died and rose from the dead by faith alone in Christ alone. We're saved. We're people of the gospel. Redemption speaks of being in bondage to sin, bondage to Satan, and that Jesus redeemed us out of that bondage. We're people of the gospel. You probably picked up, and I emphasized a little bit as I read through Ephesians there in Him, repeated over and over. Matter of fact, in all the epistles you read it in Him, in Christ. That's who we are. To be a Christian is to place one's identity in the cross. We need to to locate ourselves in Christ. We have a new identity, not as a victim, not as an addict, but our identity is in Christ. It's in Jesus. We've been born again, as we sang about. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love the tie-in he makes that I'm dead, I'm alive in Christ, and the only reason I can talk about being alive in Christ is because he redeemed me. He purchased me. He died for me. A cruciformed people. The church is a cruciformed people who gather together in mutual submission to celebrate, to proclaim the life, the death, and the resurrection. The Christian story... If I may, tells us how to put off the old self to put on the new self. That we have to lose ourselves in order to find ourselves. That we have to die in order to live. And until we locate ourselves in Christ in his death and resurrection, we can't know the life of Christ because there's no transformation without crucifixion. Paul really speaks of this more in Philippians. Philippians 3, listen to what he writes in verse 10 through 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul wants to know his resurrection but also to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Who wants to do that? (laughs) But when we locate ourselves in Christ, in Him alone, we know this dying to self. We're redeemed people of the gospel. And to be in Christ is to live under His lordship. And in simplest terms, to live under His lordship means giving up control. It's to recognize Jesus has jurisdiction over every territory of my life. We read about Jesus or we read about God and use this word Lord all through the Old Testament. And it referred to Yahweh. And when we talk about his Lordship referring a complete trust, independence upon Yahweh. And this is how God's redeemed community is to live. People of the gospel who are made new, who put off the old self, who die to live who are a cruciformed people. We are people of the gospel. There's three focal points for believers if we would stand together in community. If I kind of summarize those points. There are three focal points. I guess you could say they're biblical interpretation and their moral discernment all wrapped up in it. But there are three things that we need to understand to stand together. One is we are redeemed. We are a redeemed community. Philippians 1.27 says this, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the gospel. Living worthy of our calling to be a covenant community. The church embodies, the church puts on display a life of contrast that stands as a witness to God's redemptive purpose. In the purpose of God's redeeming and reconciling work in Christ is that we might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I I find that interesting is Paul puts that corporate spin on it. Another needs to be a, a, a recognition corporately that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's an individual decision, but it's an individual decision that we put our faith in Christ alone that brings us in to a redemptive community where all those in the community have become the righteousness of God at Christ. We're part of a redeeming community, a redemptive community. Another focal point, of course, is the cross. It's the apex of history a unique unrepeatable event bringing reconciliation. And we know that the cross confounds human wisdom and shames human power. Philippians 1:29. Paul says after verse 28, but for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake. When we have the focal point of the cross, We live life differently. Believers are called to a self-giving, self-sacrificing love, imitating Christ, open to being conformed into His image. And we all stand together at the foot of the cross in great need of the power of the Spirit in that transforming work. It allows Scott and I to look at each other and recognize we're not perfect yet. That we both stand at the cross, and we're in this process of sanctification, trying to, to wrestle and live well in life, it allows us to cut each other slack. Scott looks at me and says, the guy's a work in progress. I look at Scott and go, yeah, he's got it together. But really, we, we understand the cross, and that we stand together at the foot of the cross in great need. As part of a redeemed community. The third focal point is the new creation. In Christ, we embody forgiveness, reconciliation. Why? Because we've received those things. We're new creatures in Christ. We are claimed, remade, and placed into a new family. And in this, the church is called to a common life of worship, confession, prayer, and transformation. The church lives in the expectation of and stands as a present witness to God's redemptive purpose. I don't know, it appears we need a reminder that there's something bigger than our individual stories. That God's doing something big. God's always called out a people. If you read the Bible, the big story, God's always calling out a people. We're part of that story. We're part of his redemptive purposes. And in Christ, we become part of a redeemed community. What's the crux of this series? I guess you could say it's this. God's calling you and I to be a community born out of what his son has accomplished. God's calling Elam to be a community born out of what his son has accomplished. To be people of the gospel. He's accomplished redemption. And he's calling you and I to be a community that reflects that, that lives out the practical implications of that. Which brings us to a second point. It's not just that we're people of the gospel. It starts there, but we're people called to community. Consider what's going on in our world. I mean, it's unbelievable. The anger, the disunity, the collapse of families and structures that we once depended upon. They're just falling apart before our eyes. Conflict upon conflict. And I got a feeling deep in the heart of many in our world is there this question, is there anything stable enough? Any type of community or group of people that I can be a part of, that's I can count on, that's not going to fall apart. I got to believe that question's there. Because every other structure is just falling apart. Secular studies ask the question, what do people long for in this life? Here's the top five, and this isn't surprising you, but it's a good reminder. Number one is this longing to belong. To belong to something, to belong to someone. Everyone seems to have this desire. Second one is significance. They People spend an enormous amount of time trying to advance their significance. Well, if I move up the ladder and I get a better job and I get a better position because maybe I'll be more significant then. People pursuing significance. The third thing is people want to be known. They want to find support. They want a place where everybody knows your name. Like Cheers. That's what they want. Fourth thing is they want safety and security. They want it horizontally, and if they were really honest, they do want it vertically. They do want to know at the end of their life, is everything going to be all right? They won't admit it a lot of times, but it's a question that's there. And they want purpose and fulfillment. They want, they want to believe and got to believe that something in their life matters. That what they do Matters. And you'll have many people who find their, their purpose as parents. Then when the children are gone, guess what? They're lost. Because they haven't found true purpose and lasting fulfillment. That's a secular study. There was a study of Christians that asked the same question. What do you long for in life? Surprise, surprise, number one, Belonging. They want to belong to something or someone. It's no different. They want support, number two. They want to know that there's people around them who are going to help them live life. And number three, relevance. They want life and they want actions and activities and people around them that are relevant, that that actually mean something to where they're at that can maybe speak into their life and understand the struggles and what they're facing. Here's the problem with all those things. It's not that those things are bad, but understand the disconnect. Our world's becoming increasingly more isolated. And if those are the greatest needs, and only those things are met in community, and people are isolating themselves... Are we shocked that there's such great despair and great depression? Texting doesn't cut it. That'll never replace face-to-face. You don't hug on Instagram, no matter how emojis you send. It's just disconnection. People long to be connected, and yet they live such isolated lives, and Christians have followed suit. But understand, as a redeemed child of God, you've been called to community. No matter whether you like it or not. God didn't take a poll. I've saved you, I've placed you in a community. A community of other redeemed persons. We don't realize, I think forget, that part of what we long for, God has met in bringing us into community. God's redeemed community is a gift. I hope you appreciate that. There's great despair when we're disconnected as a Christian from God's redeemed community. And it's not like there's not images. We have some powerful images in Scripture. The first being no less than the Trinity. The triune God is an image for you and I of how we need one another. and Actually, I could praise it another way. It's the perfect model of how to live community. What is the Trinity? Well, there's three truths that make up the Trinity. It's a good time if you mess either one of these up, you've got problems. They're, they're this. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three distinct persons. You can't miss that. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three distinct persons. The second thing is each person is fully God. And number three, There's one true God. You mess either one of those three up, you got a distorted picture of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three distinct persons. Each person's fully God. There's only one God. Now, the reason I bring that up is because in the Godhead, which is a phrase Paul uses in Colossians, there's relational harmony, there's intimate community, unity, Oneness. And within the Trinity, there's distinct roles we read about. Perfect communication, submission. We see them submit one to another with their individual roles. Theologians call ontological equality with economic subordination. There's a phrase for you. It's meaning within the Godhead, there's complete unity, but economic subordination. In, in other words, they submit to one another's individual, I guess you could use the phrase, ministries. We read in John 6, 38, Luke 4, 1 and 14. John 16, 12 through 15 is just three examples of carrying, well, a member of the Godhead carrying out their role. I love Ephesians. If we're to refeed or continue to read Ephesians 2, we come to the point, verse 14 through 18, get a load of these truths, just soak in them for a minute. For he himself, Christ, is our peace who made both groups, Gentile and Jew, into one. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two one man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Now notice the action of the Trinity in verse 18. For through him we we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. What a great verse. It's loaded. It tells us about the example and the model and the community there is in the Trinity. This is rich stuff. And we are called to submit one to another, Scripture tells us, out of a reverence for Christ, out of this deep awe of who Jesus is. And this action is modeled in Trinity. The the model for you and I of how to live as a redemptive community is no less than the Trinity. And within the Trinity, we know there's unity, there's perfect community. Perfectly defined roles, purpose, harmony, and the degree of unity in the church reflects how much we understand and imitate the example of the Godhead. That's rich stuff. It's beautiful stuff. Because within the Godhead is true intimacy. True intimacy is what makes Christian relationships unique. It's what makes them authentic. True intimacy is both mutual expression of love, and a willingness to be vulnerable. We are to be engaged in ways that resemble Trinity. The Bible uses another image. One of Christian marriage. If you go to Ephesians five twenty three through 32 we won't read it now. Paul gives this incredible teaching on marriage. On what it is. And the sacrifice and commitment that it involves. Both for the husband and the wife. And then he adds this. This is a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. So what do you mean? I thought you were talking about marriage. He was. He also makes the connection that this is an image for my church. It speaks of a model for the redeemed community, the one of submission, commitment, sacrifice, and deep love. Christian marriage becomes an image for us to look at of how to live as a redeemed community. 1 Timothy 3.15, Ephesians 2.19 bring, bring up another image, that of a household. Now, when you think of the word household, you come home. You think of within your four walls. You think of interactions of those in the household. You think of a warm place, a safe place, a secure environment, where there's love, acceptance, where reconciliation is the norm. God calls his people, redeemed people, to a deepening, closely knit, unified community illustrated by Trinity, marriage, and household. God's that concerned about how we live that he left those images for you and I. And as a redeemed community, we stand in a continuation, a continuum of God's salvation story. Revealed in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We forget God's story in the Old Testament. These aren't different stories. God has one overarching story. It's a story of redemption. In the Old Testament, Israel was God's chosen people. He says in Deuteronomy, "...you are a holy people to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth to be his people." His treasured people. He goes on to say, the reason God chose Israel is because he chose to. He chose, he loved them. He chose them to be his treasured people. Israel did nothing to deserve it. As a matter of fact, as we read the Old Testament, it could make a pretty strong case Israel did everything to push God away. But they were his treasured people. God always is raising up a people. In the New Testament, we're introduced to the church. The Greek word for church describes a people who are called out, A, and called together, B. The ecclesia. The called out ones. And the understanding of community is fundamental and primary to any theology of the church. We are called out and we're called together into a story that stands in marked contrast to our world. contemporary culture. I love how 1 Peter 2, 9, 10 says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are called out of a world and into a community. Elam is located in a community. We've been called into this community to have an impact. We are called as a redeemed community to go into the community of Cocado, Dassel, Howard Lake, in the area to be on display, if I may, as God's people. And this redeemed community... Needs to stand in contrast to the culture around us. We are to be different. Because the church is Christ's body, spiritual and physical manifestation of his lordship on earth, that we might declare his praises. Our identity as a redeemed community and our call to community really is not something we possess, it's something we live into. We live out this reality. As a body lives and as we grow, We prove our calling together. This is why the church is not optional. I can't stand when people said, well, I'm I'm a Christian, but I don't want anything to do with that church. That's not your choice. (laughs) If you've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, he's placed you into the community. This isn't something you say, well, I don't know whether I want to be a part of it or not. I don't know if I want to go to church, so to speak, or I don't want to know if I want to get plugged in so to speak, into other people's lives. Believer, you've been placed in to God's family. You've been called out and called to and together to do your part in what God is doing in and through his redeemed community. It's not some club, not some group of nice people. There's, it's not a type of club that if we disagree, we'll go, go to another club. No, that's the world. That's not the church. We've been placed in God's family. And our stories are all part of a bigger story. And when we put our stories together, we get a clearer picture of the big story. That's not my idea, that's Paul's in Philippians 3, 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. To me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of this mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, in order that that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at verse 10 in order that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church. That word manifold, that that translation manifold wisdom, the English has a hard time grasping what the Greek is saying. The Greek is saying it's the multicolored dimension of the church. It's the variety, it's the beauty of what God did in bringing this redeemed community together. That's why the angelic realm scratches their head when they look at the church. They're like, good night, what was God doing? This beauty, this multicolored church that he's brought together. I don't know how the angels interact, but it sounds like they're still looking at each other. Going, this thing's beautiful. I never saw that one coming. I was sitting on the fastball and God brought a curve. This is a different plan that they envisioned. It's what God is doing. Bringing together this beautiful community of saints will spend eternity. Our stories, as we put them together, give us a greater glimpse of the bigger story. God's story is revealed by Scripture. He's calling us to be a community born out of what His Son has accomplished. We are a redeemed community infused with the life of God. That's why we offer the hope of the world. We're people of the gospel called into community? What's the applications for you and I as the Elam community? I have a deep desire, which is even hard to communicate, that you and I as a church would be known first and foremost as a people who love God, who love Jesus Christ, who aren't perfect, but seek to love Him and love others. I desire that we be a community that's a safe place. Which enables believers to struggle well with life. That's authentic. That's not something that we pretend to be what we're not. That lives out God's call as we recognize who we are. And to do that requires you and I to evaluate ourselves in two ways. Perhaps more, but we'll look at two. One is we need to evaluate if we're living a life shaped by the cross. Are we pursuing Christ's likeness Are we seeking to live according to who we are in Christ? Are we seeking to live out that it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us? You see, a redeemed community is a people who've died, have been raised to new life. That's why Paul says in Galatians 6, 14, May I never boast, Accepting the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world's been crucified to me and I to the world. Evaluate, are you living a life shaped by the cross? You're redeemed child of God. Your identity is in him under his lordship. And as a community, we are made up of redeemed people. Each being shaped by the cross in this whole process of sanctification is your life being shaped by the cross, the culture, or the culture, or music, or anything else? What's your life being shaped like? A second question, which is, undergirds the rest of our series. Evaluate how you are approaching God's redeemed community. Are you looking at it as something that's optional? Something else in your schedule? Something that meets your preferences. Maybe this idea of consumerism. When you commit to a community, a covenant community, a redeemed community, you better think twice about walking away. We, it's so easy to do, I know, because we have differences and we have preferences. But evaluate how you are approaching God's redeemed community. How do you view Elam? Or if you worship in another church somewhere, how do you you view that community of faith? God's designed and brought about a redeemed community. You and I, to be frankly honest, have very little hope of spiritually surviving without it. It's hard to flourish when we're not part of what we're called to. Will you commit to living a life as part of a redeemed community that God's placed you in? that will be our focus in the coming weeks. Will we be an authentic community, growing in and modeling Christ-likeness? May our responses be amen.